turn to the book of Mark this morning. Mark chapter number 4, if you will. Mark chapter uh, number 4. And as you're turning, let me just uh, make a couple uh, comments uh, this morning. We had a great weekend last Sunday. And uh, I just wanted to thank all those who are working behind the scenes, um, serving, volunteering for multiple services. The first Sunday that we've uh, done Easter multiple times uh, again and again. And it was awesome, awesome. And uh, God allowed us to see some amazing things. We saw 565 people between the two services. And uh, it was just an incredible day. And uh, so thank you, thank you. But here's what what I want to kind of challenge us as a church family as we uh, get ready to jump into our text today. Uh, We are growing, which is a good problem, but yet still a problem nonetheless. Uh, So let me just challenge you uh, because uh, we don't have reserved seating here. Amen? All right. We don't have reserved seating. And so we don't, I don't think I have noticed any plaques on any chairs uh, that says this seat is for you. Um, so there aren't any. Uh, some are looking. Uh, did, we, did I miss something? Uh, but uh, when I say that, I don't say that facetiously. I say that in such a way that if someone comes in and they're looking for a seat, give them yours. Give them yours. Uh, we don't have, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to save this seat for somebody. Hey, give them your seat. Uh, because the worst thing that could happen is someone come in and feel that we don't want them here. That they're not wanted. Uh, because everybody needs a place to call home. Everybody. And we want them to feel that. Say, Pastor, who are you berating? Nobody. I'm telling you of a problem that is coming. All right, I'm, I'm warning and preparing all at the same time. I'm exhorting and encouraging at the same time. Uh, so let me just challenge you this morning. If somebody comes in, invite them to sit with you. If they look kind of out of place, hey, be their buddy for the day. Uh, you tag team with them and encourage them. Hey, sit with, you can sit with me. Come sit with me. And uh, if your spouse is working, man, if they're here with you, have them all sit with you. Uh, sit somebody in the floor next to you. Put your kid on the floor. Whatever. Uh, whatever you have to do. Uh, but we have a good problem, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but just know that as we grow, uh, seats will become harder and harder to find. And so encourage you, share your seat, share your spot. If you need to get up and slide to overflow so that somebody can have your seat, let me say that again. If you need to slide up and go to overflow so somebody can have your seat who's visiting for the first time and may need Jesus, give up your seat. Right? Uh, Because we are all about people at Crossroads. All about people and encourage that God is building His church. It's His church, by the way. It's His. It's not ours. Uh, my name might be out on the sign at the road, but this is not mine. This is God's work, and He's doing a really good job with it. Uh, so we want to make sure that we get out of the way and let Him do His work. Okay? Uh, so I'm done with the public service announcement and uh, moving on. Uh, Mark chapter number four. Mark chapter number four. Have you ever planted a garden? Uh, maybe flowers or maybe a tree and you're cultivating it. Maybe it's uh, some kind of uh, garden, vegetables, whatever. Uh, on the way in, you, you received a little pack of seeds 
All right, everybody should have gotten one of these little pack of seeds. And uh, we're not going to grow anything today, but I want you to kind of hold on to this uh, this morning because uh, when you talk about planting something, we'll take time to go and pick out the exact seeds uh, that uh, you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for plants or vegetables or fruit or whatever. And, and we'll do such a great job at going to Milmont or going to Lowe's or going to the garden store. And, uh, we'll, man, we'll pick out, we'll look, and we'll study and see how much uh, water it it needs and uh, how much sun it needs and all of these different things. We'll do all the research. We'll set aside a day uh, to do the work. We'll get all of our supplies together. But how foolish would it be to try to plant the seed and do nothing to cultivate the soil? Because honestly, the soil is everything. The soil is everything. Uh, we can plant good seed in bad soil and get zero fruit. Because the soil is the most important part that has to be cared for. It has to be cultivated in advance for that seed to be planted. And I say all that to say in Mark chapter number 4, Jesus talks about an analogy about sowing seed. And about planting seed. And he gives this analogy in an effort to try and teach these people about the soil. About the soil. So in Mark chapter number four, if you have your Bible, and if you don't have your Bible, the verses will be on the screen, or you can follow along in one of the pew Bibles there in front of you and the seat uh, back right in front of you. But Mark chapter four, let's look at verse number one and lead, read a couple verses for context. Uh, the Bible says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, or listen up, pay attention. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorny, or thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Now you think about all of these different types of soil. We're going to look at all of them this morning, but I want to ask a very direct and pointed question. Because every one of these soils mentioned in Mark chapter 4 are on display in the room today. Whether you're in the room or watching online, the soil that is mentioned is on full display today. And how you handle... Your soil will determine if you ever bear fruit. How you handle your soil will determine if you ever bear fruit. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the challenges that we see in your word. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please speak to our heart and show us how we can grow and how we can produce fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please help us to see that you're cultivating the soil of hearts today. Lord, it's on display Lord, help us to have a heart prepared to receive the seed of your word. Lord, I ask that you please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any sin unconfessed in my heart and life that would hinder me from being used by you. Please forgive me and purify me today and help me to be clean. Lord, please speak to our hearts and help us to ask ourselves the question, how should I respond to the word of God today? How should I respond to God's word? And Lord, whatever that spiritual need that is 
uh, sown, Lord, whatever that spiritual need is that begins to grow, Lord, please help it to be uh, responded to, advanced on, Lord, something. Help us to respond to you today. We love you, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, you can write down number one, the parable. The parable. At the end of chapter 3, it's implied that Jesus and his followers are in a house and they uh, go back out to the seashore. Uh, Jesus goes into a boat and uh, pushes out just a little bit so that they could use the lake, that Sea of Galilee, uh, really as kind of an amphitheater setting. Uh, He would get all of the sound uh, benefits from being there on the water. And people would come up to the shore and give him a little bit of distance. But his own family was not convinced. We saw in chapter 2 and 3 that his own family was not convinced that he was who he claimed to be. And at some point in the story, in the narrative, Jesus slips back down to the Sea of Galilee and begins teaching. He knew that he had Jews and Gentiles, uh, those who were uh, in his group, his area of influence, and those who were without. As he's talking, he begins to share the story about a simple farmer, just someone who is sowing seed. And most would understand his analogy completely. Maybe while Jesus is talking, they can see a sower out in the distance who is planting a crop and doing exactly what Jesus is talking about. They've seen this scenario over and over and over in their lives. But how would it apply to them? And what is the reasoning? We see a couple different things that Jesus mentions. Number one, he talks about the seed. In verse number three, he says, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. If you were to jump down to verse number 14, Jesus or Jesus shares what that seed is. He says, The sower soweth the word. That seed that he's talking about, the sower is the one who shares the seed. We know that Jesus is the one telling the story, but it's more than that. See, this morning, I am the sower sowing seed. You are the sower at your job tomorrow sharing Jesus with a coworker. You are the sower at, at the holidays when your family comes and you have that weird uncle that most of us have, uh, a weird uncle. Uh, but uh, you have that family member that doesn't know Christ. You are the sower giving them the message of hope. In that environment, the sower is the one who gives the message. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says, And how shall they hear without a preacher, a sower, someone to share the word? That's our job as believers, by the way. To present to those around us the one that we place our faith in. That is our job. We can't expect the world to do that for us. We can't expect the pastoral staff to do that for us. We can't expect TV evangelists to do this. Our job and my job is to share with others what he's done for us. Uh, You don't have to know all the right verses. Uh, You don't have to have a a college degree. You don't have to have been to seminary. You just have to know and believe what Jesus has done for you. You have to know and have that settled in the bedrock of your soul. What has Jesus done for me? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And then verse number 8, he says, Be thou therefore, because we're not given into fear, because we're not uh, bound by those fearful thoughts and doubts, because we're not driven by uh, things that are not of love and not of a sound mind, he says, Be thou therefore not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. And then he says this, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know what that means? That means sometimes we have to accept that people won't like our message. 
That means that sometimes we have to accept and deal with the fact not everybody's going to be excited that you're in church today. Not everybody is going to be thrilled when you say, let me tell you about Jesus. And not everybody's going to be happy for you when you say, man, God met with us yesterday. They're going to get a little squirmish. They're going to get a little uncomfortable. They're going to get a little riled up. There will be some people who outright reject what Jesus has done for you because the soil is not ready. Because the soil has not been properly prepared. But the fact of the matter is that has nothing to do with our obedience to sharing the message. Our obedience to sow the seed. Our obedience to share what Jesus has done for us. Mark Devers said, We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We fail only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. It's not a failure for you to share with your coworker and then not get saved. It's a failure for you not to share the gospel with your coworker at all. You're not a failure. Say, Pastor, I've given the gospel to hundreds of hundreds of people and nobody has received Christ yet. But you've been faithful to share the seed. You've been faithful to sow the word of God. That is our job. Our job is not to save people. Our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to share what Jesus has done. So there is a seed involved. But number two, we see that the soil is involved. As the sower casts the seed, the seed falls on different types of soil. They would prepare their fields for casting. Casting. Uh, I've been on some farms and uh, seen all different types of seed cast and seed planted. And uh, they don't really do it like they used to, okay? Uh, So a sower would have a pouch and he would literally reach into that pouch and he would walk along and just cast that seed. And he would throw that seed. He would just kind of toss it out there. And uh, some of you teenagers didn't even feel it. Uh, But, uh, you know, he would just throw the seed out. Throw the seed. Enjoy the nap. Uh, and so, and he, he would sow the seed. They would prepare their fields for casting, but some would fall outside the boundaries of the field. But each one of these types of soil that's represented represent a type of heart that is in the room. Represent a type of heart. And those same hearts are on display. Every time you come to church, those hearts are on display. But what are the four different types of hearts that are mentioned? We see number one, we see the wayside that's mentioned. Look at verse number four. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. He mentioned again in verse number 15, these are they by the wayside. What is the wayside? The wayside represents the hard heart. The hard heart. Have you ever handed somebody a track and they've thrown it away? Or they've crumpled it up? Or someone refuses to take it at all? Or, or they uh, sit folded and, yeah, yeah, just go ahead and try and press me. Tell me about this Jesus thing. Or maybe somebody who sits with their arms folded in church and doesn't respond to the Word of God and leaves unaffected, hears the message and walks out not responding at all. This is the person who resists the Word of God completely when it's shared with them. You see, soil that's been trampled on comes becomes hard over time. It's been trampled on and stomped on by life, by work, by relationships, things we hear and see. Life takes its toll and people become hardened to the seed. The soil of life is no longer soft and moldable and pliable. It's hard. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, 
Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, when I open up my heart to anyone and everyone and everything, it gets trampled on. And the more that ground gets stepped on, the more it's packed down by anything that applies pressure. The only thing that can happen to a hard heart to prepare it for the soil is for it to be broken up. To be broken up. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow, your hard ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. The process of breaking that soil up of a hard heart is a painful process. Sometimes it takes a life tragedy to break up that hard heart. Sometimes it takes something difficult, a hardship, a trial to break up that hard heart, that seed that's sown by the wayside. But God is trying to get your attention. God takes us through hardships to cultivate us and prepare us to receive the seed. Uh, This morning, do you have a hard heart? Do you have a heart that shows the wayside, that, that hard soil? Not only do we see the hard soil, that, uh, that hardened heart, we see the stony ground, which is the shallow heart. The stony ground. The rock formations in Palestine would have some dirt, but uh, just a couple inches, not enough to, uh, for that seed to take root. Because of that, it would sprout up. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 5. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. It had no root. Verse 16, And these are they likewise which were stoned on stony ground, who when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure for a time... Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Because of that thin soil, the seed cannot take root. It can't take hold. and It can't bear fruit. It can't be rooted. A great example in Scripture of this type of soil, this type of heart, is found in Luke chapter 9, and verse 57 and 58. As Jesus is teaching, it says, It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man saith unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He's excited. Hey, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I want to be one of your followers. I want to be a disciple. I want to go with you. And what does Jesus do? He curbs the enthusiasm. He makes sure that the man understands the cost of discipleship. And he says in verse 58, Foxes have holes and the birds of air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, That young man went away, not a follower of Jesus, but disappointed. Excited. Hey, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. Without counting the cost of what that takes. What that requires. Uh, Have we counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? Jesus brings the man back down to reality and says it's not as easy as it seems. See, following Jesus is exciting, but it's also exhausting. Uh, Following Jesus and serving the Lord can bring about happiness, but also bring about great hurt as people mistreat us for our commitment. You have to determine, are you willing to pay the cost? 
Are you willing to give up what it takes? Are you sure that you want to follow Jesus? It's great when people are excited, but it's like it says here in verse number 16, receiving with gladness, but when the trials come and the difficulty comes up, and it's not easy to serve Jesus anymore, the seed shrivels up and dies because it's not rooted. Remember Colossians talked about, tells us to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Rooted and grounded. Are you sure this morning that you want to follow Jesus? Do you have a hardened heart? Do you have a stony heart or a shallow heart? Not allowing the seed to take hold. Our Iranian church leader said this, Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes, but converts don't. Are you a disciple this morning or are you a convert? See, it's easy to be a convert. It's more difficult to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war, but converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God, but converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else, but converts don't. And converts run when the fire comes, when the trials come, but true disciples don't. See, you have to decide today, are you a convert of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus? Remember when Jesus had all of the followers of him in John chapter 6 and verse number 66? He gave that long message in John chapter 6. And it says in verse 66 that from that day forward, many of his disciples walked away, turned away. It was almost like Jesus took inventory and reminded and said, Hey, are you sure that you want to follow me? Gave a long dissertation in John 6 and to the point where when Jesus got done with the message and the crowd dissipated, there were only 12 left. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, will you also go away? Are you also going to leave me? So many people walked away from Jesus on that day. That was not a good day to be at church. All these people kind of disappear. Jesus preaches and they respond with leaving. That's not what you want. You want people to double down. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. But sometimes it's easy to say we're going to follow Jesus. It's a whole other thing to live like we're following Jesus. See, there is that hard soil. There's that shallow soil. Then number three, we see the thorny soil. The thorny soil. Verse 7, some fell among thorns and the thorns grew and choked it and it yielded no fruit. Verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. This is the person who receives the word. They have a crowded heart. They have all of these different things going on. They hear the word and rather than turning from their old lifestyle, their own way of living, uh, their own uh, way that they've done things, their own environment, their own culture, rather than turning from that, They try to add Jesus to that. Hey, let me just add Jesus into my way of living, and that's what I need. It doesn't work. Let me just add Jesus to what I'm already doing. Remember, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And he said, no man can serve two masters. you got to choose one. You're either going to hate one and love the other. You'll hold one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters, you have to choose. And there will be a point where Christ demands a decision. 
You have to choose who you're going to follow. Uh, Following Christ involves a decision of direction. Following Christ involves a decision of direction which path you will take. A decision of direction. Uh, Following Jesus, there will be a crossroads coming. You like that? Uh, There will be a crossroads coming. But there is, following Jesus is a decision of direction. A decision of direction. Remember, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There are two paths to choose from. One is really big. One is really broad, the Bible says. And a lot of people on that path. A lot of the crowd, a lot of the uh, group that you spend time with at work, a lot of people that we know are on that path. But where does that path lead? Destruction. It's more popular than that straight path, that narrow path, that obscure path. But the path that Jesus promoted is not the broad path. It's the narrow path. It's that narrow way. The one that's less crowded. The one that not as many people choose. But where does that path lead? It leads to life. That is the path that he's talking about. Well, our problem comes when we try to play hopscotch back between multiple paths. Now, I want a Monday through Friday. I want to be on the broad path. We with all my friends where it's fun and it's exciting and, and everybody has a good time. And we don't really talk about Jesus much, but I'm on this path. And then on Saturday, I want to kind of scoot over. I got to be on this path now because it's time to be in church. And amen and the goodness of God. And then Monday, I don't know anything about the goodness of God because I live over here in the broad path. Do you realize at the end of your life, you do this dance back and forth, it's not going to end well. You have to choose. In church, we're getting ready to be at a place where we got to choose. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? Because we live in a world that is all about this, back and forth. You know what the world takes notice of? The people who stay here and who live on the narrow path. They're weird. They're Bible thumpers. Man, they, I don't know about them. You know, something's off. And they got screw loose, Pastor. But maybe it's just that they've chosen not to do the back and forth. Maybe they've chosen just to say, hey, I, following Jesus is worth the cost. But following Jesus is better, more consistent than going back and forth. And it doesn't get any easier. We think, well, Pastor, you preach to those teenagers, man. You share, you tell them because they, they need to be consistent. That's a message that applies to all of us. Because we all do this song and dance all day long. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Jesus on Sunday and then Monday around my friends. And then midweek Bible study comes and discipleship and I'm like this. And, and then I'm going to go back over here on Friday night when I go out with my buddies. And then Saturday, oh, i got to lay the shirt and tie out for Sunday. Uh, then i got to make sure my, my kids know. And then even on the way to church, on the way, hey, I'm screaming at the kids and I'm doing all this stuff. And, and, and hey, I'm, I'm beeping the horn. Hey, get out of my way. And then that person turns in the church parking lot with you. And then... <laughs> And then you get out of the car and, oh, yeah, brother, I was just messing with you. Yeah, you try to blow it off. 
personal testimony. Yeah, there it is. We want a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. What does God call that? In the book of Revelation, lukewarm Christianity. And it makes him sick. He would rather us be one way or the other than to go back and forth. See, that life of that hopscotch Christianity will never be blessed by God. Why? Because it's not living the way it was created to live. It's not fulfilling its design. Is that your heart today? Hey, are, are you that crowded heart? I've got so much going on. And Jesus is just saying, hey, drop everything. Drop all the baggage and just come over here to me. Drop all the baggage and stay on the narrow path with me. And we see all those first three soils, they all received the seed. They all heard the same message. But what was the difference? No fruit. No fruit. Look at the fourth one. That's the good soil. The, the fruitful heart. The good soil. Look at verse number 8. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hey, take inventory of this. Be reminded. And then in verse number 20, and these are they which were sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. It brings forth fruit. See, only the soil that was prepared brought forth fruit. Some of the good ground bore a lot of fruit. Some of it not as much. We think that when uh, we get saved and we come to Christ that immediately I'm just going to start, everybody's going to gravitate to me and say, how can I be a believer too? It doesn't work that way. Not all the time. And we think that, man, I, uh, immediately after saved, something's going to happen. And all of a sudden I have this S tattooed on my chest. I'm a super Christian. And I can just, you know, at any moment, hey, uh, never fear, I am here. You know, that's not going to happen either. Uh, not going to happen. But the truth is, if you're growing in Christ, you will bear fruit. Maybe not the fruit that you think, but you will bear fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You'll have a different out, outlook towards people. And I, I used to hate that guy. Now I'm concerned that he's talking about going and doing all this stuff with his friends that's against the plan of God for his life. Man, that concerns me. That bothers me. You'll have joy. Your world can be crashing and burning around you and everything is okay in your heart because you have Christ and you have peace and it'll be settled in your heart and all of these different things, long-suffering, patience, not as much horn honking in the car on the way to church. Uh, you'll have gentleness, uh, you'll be slow to speak, and uh, goodness all about you, and faith and meekness and temperance, self-control, all of these different things will be evident in the life of a believer, growing fruit because the heart has been prepared to receive it. A good soil. Not all believers are going to produce fruit at the same rate as others. It, we're all on different tracks, but you know what we do? We compare, don't we? We compare ourselves. Hey, that person's talking about people they see saved all the time. Why, why, why not me? Uh, remember Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Are not wise. It's not wise to compare yourself with someone else. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. 
For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Think about this quote. Compassion doesn't focus on what God has for me. It focuses on keeping up with others. Uh, com- comparison doesn't focus on what God has done for me. It focuses on keeping up with others. Got to keep up with the Joneses. You know, I got to keep up with them. It's comparison. So we see the heart, the, the soil, that parable that Jesus shares. But then lastly this morning, we see the point. What is the point? Why is Jesus sharing it? What is Jesus trying to emphasize? It's easy to see that Jesus is showing importance on the seed, on the soil. So how does that apply to me? How should I respond to the seed? What should I do? Number one, we should respect the seed. We should respect the seed. Respect the seed. Imagine if you had prepared a lecture that you knew would would change someone's life. Imagine uh, that it was a cure for a rare disease. And you had prepared and you've seen the effects of the cure in your own life and how it's impacted you personally. You gather a group of people together to share it with them, allow them to see the benefits of the cure. But as you're sharing that with them, you notice that some aren't paying attention. Uh, Some are totally disinterested. Some are sleeping. Some are talking to their friends. Some get up and walk out before you're even done sharing. How would that make you feel about those who are listening? How would that make you feel about the seed that you're presenting? That cure that you're sharing? Would would you be convinced that they're convinced that you know what you're talking about? Would you think that they see the same value in the cure that you do? Then how should we value the Word of God when it's presented to us? When the Word of God is spoken to us, whether that's from a pulpit or from a friend who says, man, let me tell you about what God did for me this past week. And we zone out. And we're not even interested. How does that speak to the seed? And then what does that say about the soil? What does that say about our heart? Should we be using that space or this space as as our venue to catch up on social media? Should we be using this space to clip our nails or, or else should we be sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for a chance to respond to the Word of God? Should we be waiting? See, it's not about the sower. It's about the seed. It's about the Word of God. And What does God's Word have to say for me? And how does it apply to me? And what is it going to do for me? And how is it going to change me? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints of the mirror, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See, God's Word is what makes a difference in our hearts. It's not the preacher. It's not the preaching. It's the seed. It's the seed of the Word of God. See, if I don't believe that the Word of God can change my life, then how would I expect anyone around us to believe that it can change theirs? If I don't believe, if I don't hang on to the Word of God and I don't respond to the Word of God, why would I expect anybody else to give heed to it if I don't? Can I say lovingly and compassionately, 
And that's one of the reasons why we ask people to minimize their movements during a service. Hey, I, I understand emergencies happen and people got to go to work and all those different things. I get all that. But I also understand that this is the Word of God. Now, this is God's Word. And we have a, a responsibility to ask ourselves, how am I going to respond to what God is saying? And so, we, number one, we respect the seed. And number two, we respond to the seed. Look at verse 11. And he said unto them, this is now just the disciples. The crowd's gone. The disciples. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. The preaching of the word is done in two parts. Presentation and application. Presentation and application. The word of God is presented. And then I have to ask myself, how does this apply? How does this apply to me? Uh, Some preachers are really good at sharing both. But sometimes I have to sit back and say, how does this apply? What does God want me to do? How should I respond? That, you think about the time of invitation, reflection, it, the altar's open, people can come and pray and they'll say, God, speak to my heart, do for me what I just heard, apply God's word to my heart. Some people choose to pray in their seats and respond there, but there should be a response from God's people to the word of God. When God speaks, we should act. When God speaks, we should act. And this is a time when God is trying to speak to someone's heart. Imagine God speaking to someone's heart and in that moment that God is speaking, hey, I want you to respond, I want you to do this, I want you to take this step, I I, I want you to move, I, I want you to speak, I want you to submit. Imagine in that same moment that somebody says, hey, excuse me, I need to get up. In that moment That seed is snatched away. That seed is squashed. That seed is taken. And that thought is gone. That's how vital it is. That's how important it is when we respond to the Word of God. When we respond to the seed, we respect the seed. That it is God's Word. I could care less if you listen to me. I want you to listen to God. I want you to hear the Word of God. Because all I can do is talk to your head. God is the one who speaks to our heart. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the preach. It's not about the preaching. It's about the seed. And it's about the soil that the seed is cast onto. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 through 27. Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What was the difference? Both heard the word of God. Both heard the message. Both had a chance to respond. One said, I'm going to respond, and one said, I'll wait. One said, I'm going to respond now. I'm going to do what God is leading me to do. And the other said, not today. What happened to the house? One stood strong. 
when the storm came. And one fell when the storm came. Same storms, same difficulties, same scenario. But one was ready for the storm and one was not. Hey, this morning, are you listening with a desire to respond to God's word? Are, do you have a heart that is ready to receive the seed of God's word? Do you have in your mind, in your heart, already knowing, formulating, this is how God is speaking, this is how I'm going to respond? Because when God speaks, His people should act. When God speaks, and that's not a year from now, we should act immediately, responding to God's word. Not the preacher's, but God's word. His voice, tuning into His voice so that we can know exactly how he desires us to respond. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you today, you're in the room or watching online, let me just simply ask you two very important questions. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? Do you know if you died today, you'd be on your way to heaven? Are you convinced that heaven is your eternal home? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that for sure. You're not convinced. Can I pray for you this morning? I don't want to embarrass you, call your name, point you out. We have personal workers that are already down front. And if you're battling that in your heart, your mind, and you're not really sure where you're going to spend eternity, I would challenge you right now just to kind of scan and peek and find out where those personal workers are located. Brother John will be down front and personal workers will be in the front and in the back. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to challenge you. We'd love to answer any question you might have. Take the Word of God and try and help you today. But maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't have that assurity. I'm not convinced. Could I pray for you today? I'm not going to embarrass you. I wouldn't call your name out if I knew it. But I would like to pray for you. Can I be your friend today? Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. I don't know if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm just not convinced. Is that you? Would you simply slip up your hand long enough for me to see it and put it right back down while no one's looking around? Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? You would say, Pastor, I haven't raised my hand, but I'll raise it right now. Please pray for me. Include me in that prayer. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'm at least concerned enough to ask you to pray. Is that you? I just want to pray for you. Nothing more, nothing less. Pastor, please pray for me. I'm not convinced. That's me. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. I'm going to pray for you. Somebody else say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. Salvation is so simple. It's literally admitting what God has already said, that we're sinners. You and I are sinners. The Bible says it very clearly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of perfection. We're not perfect. We can't measure up to His standard of perfection. Never will. But Jesus died to bridge the gap. He died on the cross and paid for your and my sin on the cross. He died a death that we would not have to die. He paid your sin debt that you would never have to pay. And by simply confessing what you already know that you're a sinner and asking Him to apply what He did to your life, The Bible promises, according to the Word of God, that you can have that forgiveness. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt where you're going to spend eternity because of the promise of God's Word. That's what salvation is. It's simply taking God at His Word that you can have what He is offering today. Hey, it's not a magical, mystical experience. It's not a magic prayer that saves. It's simply asking Him to do what only He can do. I can't save you, but God can And maybe you're here this morning and you would take just a moment today and you would pray right there in your seat or come and talk to a personal worker and you would say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner 
And I know that if I stay the way I am, I deserve to be separated from you because of that sin. But thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for paying my sin debt. Please come into my life and help me to follow you with the time that I have left. That is biblical salvation. And if you're here this morning and you would pray a prayer, something like that, or you would pray to the Lord and ask Him to save you, I promise you He will. He will. And we would love to rejoice with you if that is your testimony. Maybe you need to come and talk to somebody. Maybe you're battling a a burden or a trial or hardship in your life that you need somebody to pray with you over. Man, we would love to do that. It would be our pleasure. Maybe you need to take a step today. You have a decision that's been weighing on your heart and you need to take that step in that process with Jesus. Man, take that step by faith. Do what God is leading you to do today. That is the call for today. That is our response. When He speaks, we act. What is He challenging you to do today? What step is He asking you to take today? Will you follow Him? Will you be obedient to Him? Will you respond to Him today? Father, please bless this time of invitation. Lord, I ask that you please be with those that raised their hand this morning indicating that they did not know that they were saved. They didn't know they were on their way to heaven. Lord, I ask that you please help them before they leave today, help them to get that settled. Help them to simply call out to you and admit that they're a sinner. Tell, uh, Lord, help them to admit that they believe and say that they believe and believe in their heart that you died for them, that you suffered, you paid their sin debt. Lord, you were buried. You rose again. We just celebrated last weekend your resurrection. Lord, help them to ask you in faith, believing that you will save them. Help them to call out to you this morning, Lord, a sense of urgency today. Help them to respond to your voice. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see our spiritual need. Help us to ask ourselves, Lord, how, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? How do you want me to respond today? What is the decision that needs to be made based on the Word of God and the presentation? Lord, help us to submit ourselves to your Word today and do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing a verse of an invitation song, The Goodness of God.